Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the Phil Hay Show, brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan Moylan here from The Square Ball, along with Michael Normanson and Phil Hay from The Athletic. And if you want to read Phil's articles, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up. Pound a month for six months, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. Bit of a struggle at the minute, Phil, isn't it? Not a lot to, uh, to talk about, to write about, but we're here anyway. We will plough on. What is it? Day 18, day 19, it's like being in prison and sticking lines on the wall and counting the days until we're going to get there, um, which is part of the reason why I went to Millwall on Saturday. Why not? So should we talk about Millwall today <laughs> yeah, then? Um, and you went there for good reason as well, to go see um, Charlie Creswell and see how Shackleton was getting on. Did you see any Pervader as well for, for Blackpool? He was. Pervader was on in the second half. There were three loanies there, which was quite handy. Um, but I was really going to watch uh, Creswell, to speak to Creswell, to find out a bit about how it's going for him. Mainly because if you speak to Leeds about Creswell, they do talk about him as somebody who they would like to think of as the future centre-back for them. Whereas with Shackleton, I think he and Leeds know that they're pretty much done um, and that they've kind of gone their separate ways temporarily this summer, but likely to be on a permanent basis somewhere, um, potentially Millwall, next summer. And likewise with Paveda, it doesn't seem quite as crystal clear with him, but he feels a long way from the first team um, at the moment. And given that he was in the mix under Bielsa, then no longer in the mix um, and has had this bad injury, uh, is kind of out the out of the picture under Marsh as well. You sort of wonder what the future holds for him. But in terms of Creswell, you do think that there's a, a possibility that somewhere down the line you could be looking at one of Leeds' first-choice centre-backs there. He's done an article on this as well, which is on the Athletic website, just uh, about your day out in, in Bermondsey. How was it as, as an experience then, going there without looking at it through a Leeds prism? Very different. Uh, I've only ever been... With Leeds, I don't think I've been to the Den for any game other than the Millwall Leeds, and we we got into this actually on the last podcast. We're saying it was a fixture that Millwall always handled beautifully, with very very rare exceptions at the Den. Never got much out of Leeds at, at Ellen Road, but likewise when Leeds went down to Bermondsey, um, it tended to be defeat. It tended to be very little to take home from it. Um, it tended to be fairly fairly miserable trips there, and part of the reason for that was because. The players and the the coaching staff seemed to know how to set themselves up for that game, seemed to know how to motivate themselves for that game, but so did the crowd. And without a doubt, against Blackpool, it was a very different atmosphere. Blackpool, uh, Blackpool had the lower tier, um, which, as you'll remember, was I can't, I don't think there was ever a game I went to there where Leeds were allowed in the lower tier. It was always the upper tier because it was easier to contain, easier to manage for the police and, and the stewards and everybody else. So it was a fairly small away crowd without being tiny. It wasn't a huge home crowd either. And there wasn't any of the sort of vitriol or, or the, the venom that you used to get when Leeds went down there for, for championship games. So it was different. Um, but, and I have to say, neither side looked to me like they're likely to threaten the playoffs this season. Blackpool looked particularly limited. Millwall, I think, have something about them, but probably not enough to be a top six side this season. But from Creswell's perspective, I think however this season goes, it's going to be a very, very good learning curve for him, a really good education because it's not an easy ground or easy club to play for. Uh, you, you cannot hide at Millwall. And 
getting booed off at halftime on Saturday. Not him individually, but the team collectively, I think, um, made that point. I speak as someone who has tried to hide at Millwall. Uh, when I when I managed to get off the train at the wrong place and had a bit of a, a bit of a longer walk than I'd anticipated to the uh, to the stadium, so yeah, it was. Uh, I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued to the, know the atmosphere there on a normal day because whenever I've been, it's been um, it's been tense. I think there's a wider context to this as well, which is um, Gary Rowett as as manager speaking to other journalists down there and listening to the crowd. It seems as if it's going slightly stale there. They they were close to the playoffs last season. Um, I wonder if they're starting to get a little bit tired of this. Um, he's he's playing with three at the back, Rowett, on which Creswell plays on the right-hand side. And there doesn't seem to be within the squad or within the, the tactical setup much scope to change that or to, to alter it significantly if, if Millwall need to. And they struggled in patches on Saturday. They deserve to win the game um, in the end, but they, they got the early goal. They kind of drifted, went off the boil, Blackpool equalised. And there was a bit of dissent. You could feel a bit of discontent rumbling about Rowett, about the way that the season is. I think it's probably fair to say that in the Championship, parachute payments have never been more effective than they are now. Everybody has been saying for years, you know, to come down with the parachute payments gives you a big advantage. But actually, there was a long period where you couldn't tell if parachute payments were enough of a compensation for the, you know, the sheer weight of wage bill that you tended to drop out the Premier League with. But looking at the clubs who season after season are getting promoted, it clearly does make a difference. And you know, Millwall don't have that, have, have never been in the Premier League, don't have the, the finance of other clubs down at that level. But you do get the sense that everybody in the Championship kind of fancies the chances every season or feels like they should be able to fancy the chances of at least being in the running for sixth. And there was some murmuring, you could feel it bubbling under the, the surface. Um, from what I can gather, it's not the first time the Millwall have been booed off at half-time at home. It, it was applause at the end because they won the game. If Obi's um, half-volley in the second half settled it. And I actually thought Creswell had a really good second half, did the basics extremely well. He's had a, a bit of a mixed time down there. He's had really good moments, two goals on his debut, three and all. Um, he's had more difficult moments, like a bad mistake at Sheffield United. They got beat 2-0 at Bramall Lane. Um, I spoke to him afterwards and he said there were two games he'd not been happy with. The rest he'd been pretty satisfied with and, and you know content with the way it's going for him. But I just think it'll be perfect sort of experience. I, I think the argument could probably be made that there would be a place for him in lead squad this season if, if they wanted him there. But I don't think he'd play anywhere near as much as he's going to play at Millwall. Um, and that I, think, um, that, I think, was behind the decision for him to go in the summer, the realisation that he might end up getting 40 games down there, whereas back in, back in Leeds, you know, it, it might be a handful. And yeah, the whole point of him going there, getting the games, is to iron out those errors, I guess, as well, because you want him making them for Millwall in the Championship and not for the Leeds in the Premier League. I think there are lots of facets to it. So you you look to improve technically, but you look to improve physically as well, get your body used to the feeling of having a full season um, in what is a really, really competitive division. I mean, it's it's wide open. And the funny thing is that Millwall are in that position where they were kind of down towards the bottom end of the table before the game started, um, at the end of it, they were 13th and that's two points off sixth. And OK, Sheffield United seem to be running away with it at the top of the league. But in the middle, it's just a completely, you know, completely even field in which you could probably take your pick from from about 10 or 12 clubs. They're in a kind of odd situation where Creswell's top scorer with three goals alongside own goals, of which there was another one on Saturday, um, which reminds me a little bit of a book I once read about East Stirlingshire in Scotland who who's a centre-back for at least three or four months with top scorer with two own goals. Um, so they're not that bad, but they're not um, they're not firing in the way that, that you need to be. But as I say, I think for Creswell, it would be great for him if the going was good, you know, in terms of how the club are going and, and how Millwall are playing. 
But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for his development if the going's pretty tough either. You know, fair or foul atmosphere, I think he'll learn an awful lot. And I think he definitely needs this. And as I say, the difference between him and Shackleton is that you realise that Shackleton is heading elsewhere and, and is going to carry on um, his career somewhere beyond Leeds. Um, but with Creswell, there is the feeling at Leeds that, that he could be a first-choice centre-back, should be a first-choice centre-back if he keeps going in the direction he's been headed and developing at the speed that he has been. Um, so I, I kind of see this as a, as a ideal move for him. Just a quick note on Shackleton. Where are they playing him at the moment? Because <laughs> well, he, he, was, he was kind of right back for us in the main. This is the thing. He, he's had some games at, um, in the centre of midfield, which is his position going back many years and what he thinks of as his strongest position. But I got to Millwall on Saturday to find out that he was playing wide right, um, almost as a right-sided wing-back, um, and had been for a few previous games as well. Have they been playing like a 3-4-3? Uh, three, three? It's that sort of thing, yeah, and Blackpool matched up with that as well. And so you can have two wing-backs either side of a midfield pair. So Shackleton was to the right of Creswell, covering that that zone. But back in the position, kind of exactly the position that Bielsa tried hard to make him fit into at Leeds without great success, um, a position that it never seemed to me that Shackleton particularly wanted to play in. And I wouldn't have said on Saturday he looked any more like a right-sided wing-back than he had done um, in the games where we'd seen him play there at Leeds. I think he's somebody who really, really needs a good long run um, in the centre of midfield. But as ever at Millwall, you, the, there's competition for places and there are established players down there who who expect to play. Creswell was out of the team for a little while replaced by Sean Hutchinson who's the club captain um, Hutchinson's got a groin strain so Creswell's been back in and will play I think for as long as Hutchinson's out someone was saying to me that in the, the contract they've got with Millwall there are penalty clauses if he doesn't play enough you know there's a recall clause in January if Leeds need him although I think they would much rather that he stayed down there and played to the end of the season but there are um, clauses that will cost Millwall if they don't play him as much as Leeds would would, would like them to the fact remains that Rowett needs results, Rowett needs them to be competitive. He's got more senior players who will be asking to play as well. So it is a, a fairly fine balance. And I, I did look at Shackleton on Saturday and think, I hope he doesn't get stuck on the right um, for the, the duration of the season or for most of his appearances because I just, I, I don't feel like he's suited to that role. And I could tell from some of what was being said in the crowd that I don't think they feel like he's right for that role either. Well, what is it that makes you feel that then? Is it, what is it, is it his tendency I, to turn inside or to not try and beat the man? or is, what, what is it about I, his... I think when you put Shackleton in the middle, you get a really dynamic midfielder who is happy going forward and has space to break into. I don't think Shackleton's strength is going past a man um, on the flanks. I don't think Shackleton's strength is particularly playing progressively in that area like you would want a midfielder to, to do. We saw a lot with him in the Leeds team. Um, I say this as, as someone who's always thought of Shackleton as a really talented player and I do think he, he has he has bags of ability but there was a lot of lot of lateral passing from him. He, when you were looking for your wing-backs to attack you would find that it did seem to be Shackleton's tendency to cut inside, to, to pass backwards. That was some of the grumbling um, at the den on Saturday although not purely aimed at him after saying the periods where, um, where Millwall were, were not as good. Um, it, it was not solely focused on Shackleton as, as the problem. I just think everybody would accept that he wants to play as a central midfielder and that's been his position going back a long time. Just going back to Creswell, um, there are some good quotes because you spoke to him in the way of this yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some good quotes in there um, in the in the article that's on the website and it, it reminded me that he's very, very self-assured. We've joked a few times on here about how he, he sort of carries himself with the confidence of a 35-year-old. He really does, yeah. Um, and he, he seems to be very self-aware in the sense of what this move is supposed to be doing for him in terms of ironing out those mistakes. Getting his head set in the right way I think as well to play consistently because I guess it's easy to switch off when you're in and out of the side you know you're, you're not 
going through those same routines week in, week out. The point he was trying to make was that he had some good experience at Leeds last season, particularly the Premier League debut against West Ham when he played very, very well. But in total, it was 139 minutes um, in the league season. Uh, he played about five or six times in total. And he said, in in that scenario, your mindset is that you have to turn it on for that one game. You know, you have to take your opportunity in that one game. Whereas what he's experiencing now at Millwall is a scenario where he has to turn it on every single week. And particularly because he has somebody like Hutchinson, Jake Cooper, other, other centre-backs there who want to play as much as he does and, and don't expect to get pushed out of the team, least of all by a you know a 20-year-old loanee. They, they want to play. So it is different for him. But I think also he's started to see how when you do play week after week, and obviously he has played in the academy in the 21s, but it just isn't the same. When you do play in, in properly competitive football week after week, you go through a, quite a wide range of emotions. So he scored twice on his debut um, at home to Stoke, made a really bad error away at Sheffield United, a back pass that just fell a long way short, was completely misplaced. Sheffield United scored and, and Millwall lost there. And, and he said the feeling on, on his debut could hardly have been more high. Um, the mistake at Sheffield United in the glare of, of everybody watching felt like the lowest of lows. And it's kind of taught him already to try and find the, the middle ground between those so that you don't run with the extremes and you don't you don't let your body and your mind move with the extremes. At his point, I thought it was quite interesting. He, he said, you know, I, I want to find the right level, the right benchmark where I can enjoy life as well as enjoy football. And I wonder if enough footballers think like that, really. The, the idea that not only enjoy your career and make the most of it, but be all that you can be as a player, um, but also be able to marry that with you know, a, a happy personal life in a sport that is massively scrutinised and, and where you are easily criticised and, and there's a lot of focus on you. You know, that that was my overriding feeling when he joined Millwall. And again, I got this sense when I went down on, on Saturday. I was, remember a Leeds player saying to me, and I'm paraphrasing slightly here, but along along the lines of, you know, if you go to Millwall and try and hide, the crowd feel that and they start looking for you even more. So you have to, as Creswell said, you have to, you have to show balls and you have to, you have to step up to the plate when they force you to. And I think you'll have that all season and I think you'll benefit from it, definitely. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's been pretty sparse in terms of football, but there has been a little bit of football happening. Um, 21s, did you catch that one? I did. I did. Such a strong lineup. <laughs> It didn't get well, like so, under thirty ones. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, um, it, bus passes all round. It, it was. Um, I, I don't know how Southampton made the journey, but if it was by coach, which I suspect it will have been, that is a long, long way to come to play a team like that. Well, as we uh, know from Thomas Tuchel, it's a, uh, it's, the, it's the wrong way to travel. Absolutely, absolutely. It should have been private jets up. Um, perhaps that was the problem. I mean, they were 
comprehensively battered. And it was obvious, really, from the moment um, Bamford scored really, really early on that that's how it was how it was going to go. For Marsh, the sole concern on the evening will have been to put through as many minutes as he could the players who were allowed to play. So Furpo, for example, and Cooper. Bamford getting a hat-trick cannot be bad for him um, and his finishing touch. With Furpo playing as much as he did, you would assume that on the other side of the international break, he's actually going to be able to um, to be in contention for the first team. How long did he get? Um, Furpo was on in total for, let me just check and get this right, 75 minutes it was, yeah. The changes came in the last 15, 10 minutes. But, you know, others who needed game time as well, Ailing Cooper, I think probably pretty importantly because there is, I would imagine, going to be a decision to be made there about whether it's Llorente, um who starts against Villa at Ellen Road or whether Cooper comes back in. I think personally I'd be leaning towards Cooper coming back in. But then again, I've always been a, a Cooper fan in comparison to a lot of other people and I do think defence is far more steady with him in it generally. So, I mean, money's worth for the crowd who turned up. Absolutely. Um, and a goal for Sonny Perkins, which gets lost a little bit in it, but he's had a really good start at Leeds. A lot of goals, a lot of people who've watched him train and watched him um, work under Marsh and, and with the twenty ones so far, I've been really impressed with what they've they've seen. So he might he might prove to be a pretty shrewd signing. Him, you think he's in contention then for the bench at least? <laughs> Hard to say actually. I think that's something that, uh, that we should ask Marsh about um, when we get around to his next press conference because he has performed really well for the twenty ones, and it is the only staging point that you can have for a player like him. You know that's where he's going to impress. Aside from training sessions, you know that's where he's he's going to catch the eye. You remember that there was the. The, the hoo-ha over him when he left West Ham West Ham not happy at all about losing him and implying in the statement that they put out that a certain club had if not been tapping him up had been suggesting that the grass might be greener elsewhere and there was a compensation claim to be settled there I don't know if it has been yet but the, the guidance I had was that actually the, the compensation fee was unlikely to be particularly big because he wasn't on anything like a big wage at West Ham and because of the situation with his scholarship and everything else and um, and where he was with, with contracts I don't think there'll be a huge outlay for him but I think if he you know looking at him and, and what he can do he, he could prove pretty good value actually if he pushes through to first team level Just on the centre-backs we were talking about it um, this week Michael and I saying isn't it funny how with international call-ups that Robin Cox not being called up yet Diego Llorente has I think did we speak about this last time when I was saying it feels as if Robin Cox has hit the best form that he's had with Leeds and granted Brentford was a mess although I'm really not sure that it was a mess because of Robin Koch particularly you got an assist <laughs> yes um, but it's almost as if the point where it's really started to settle for him at Leeds Germany have decided to look elsewhere and it might just be purely based on form and it might just be that, that Germany feel they've got better centre-backs elsewhere but it is kind of odd because he's he's been in the in the reckoning with Germany right the way through his first two seasons with Leeds which have been very stop-start and Parts of them have been clogged up by him trying to play as a central defensive midfielder rather than uh, a central defender. So yeah, um, slightly odd. And I mean, Llorente seems to me to have every bit as strong a chance of going to the World Cup as Rodrigo, really. Um, and obviously Rodrigo's going to have to recover from this shoulder injury, which um, Leeds were hoping he, he would have done by the end of the international break. That will be actually a, a key point when Marsh's next press conference comes around later this week of whether Rodrigo is, is going to be fit to come back in. But yeah, Llorente's still in the international mix. 
safe to say that Bamford's ship has sailed with regards to that then um, in the World Cup, given as we are in late September and we're, we're what, how many, six weeks, eight weeks uh, out? I don't know. I would say so, um, particularly with Tony now moving in to have a look and, and for Southgate to have a look at him and, and being in good form, I think it's going to be really difficult for Bamford to um, to push his way back in. Um, I, I'm not actually convinced that Tony will go to the World Cup either. Someone tells me that we may well see reverse gear towards Rashford when push comes to shove and Southgate has to pick um, pick the group. The same is probably true of Jack Harrison, who I thought might have got a look in this time with England. I thought if, if Southgate was going to give him a go at any point, this would be the moment um, on the basis of how he's he started the season. But yes, I think um, I think that's probably gone. Is Bamford somewhere approaching full fitness now? Because he obviously scored the hat-trick in the 21s game. I, I, he must be, yes, I would think so. Again, when when we speak to Marsh at the weekend, it, one of the things that I think we'll want to know is how well and how regularly Bamford is training because back at the point where where he did get injured again, there was obviously the conversation with Marsh about the fact that he had been kind of taking it easy with Bamford. He had been limiting his, his training load through the week. I think it would be reassuring for everybody to know that he's just at full tilt now. Um, but that appearance and those three goals um, are not going to do him any harm. And a first glimpse at Willie Nonto as well, another attacking option now. And you know, maybe, are we, have we been guilty a little bit of, of underestimating him because um, we were in for the likes of Gakpo on the transfer deadline and uh, Nonto's come in at a, at a level of price point where you, you're not thinking, well, that's a, that's a marquee signing. It's the marquee attacker that everybody wanted. But he's a full international and he's in the Italy squad for the, for the England and Hungary Nations League games. He, he is. We did a long piece on him a couple of weeks ago um, and he's a very intelligent and level-headed guy really well educated through school and ambitious in the sense of you know, people might look at him going from leaving Inter, going to Switzerland, kind of wondering what, what that career step was all about. But I think ambitious in not wanting his career to to kind of sit still for ages on the basis that he's stuck in a, a high profile academy where he doesn't feel like he's actually going to get a chance. I think the whole point of going to Switzerland was that he wanted to play and he wanted to play now and he, he knew that he would get games there and he knew that it might be a, a good stepping stone to something bigger, which obviously it, it has been with Leeds. If we're guilty of underestimating him, I suppose it has to be said that it was Marsh himself who told us that he didn't think he was quite ready for this level. Um, he is only 18 and although he isn't an Italy international, you know, it's been very recent step up into the Italy squad and, and I don't think you're yet at the point where you could say that he's a, a fully fledged Italy player who's banging them in week after week after week, is or you know month after month. It's it's not like that, but he is talented. I think I think the the perspective at the end of the transfer window wasn't so much about Nonto himself. I don't think people were anti Nonto. I think people were looking at what else had been out there, what else Leeds had been talking about, and wondering actually whether there were players who could have made more of an impact more immediately. And I think it's fair to say that with players like Ketlar and Gakpo, a hundred percent they could have done. Um, but with Nonto, he's one to watch really because I think a lot of us are, are fairly unsure about what he's going to do and how quickly. You know, is he going to make a really swift impact or is it going to be, you know, a much more patient game with him? Assuming he starts from the bench, which you can only see as is his first option, who do you think he's going to be coming on for? Do you think it'll be for a striker or do you think it'll be more for one of the, the wider players? Well, he says that he prefers playing as a secondary striker. And if you look at, I mean, Italy have used him in a wider role, um, role as a wider forward. It was generally three at the back um, for Zurich uh, when when Nonto played. Um, Mancini tends to go more with a four-man defence, kind of 4-3-3, and, and has been using Nonto out wide. I, I think he fits into the category of player that Leeds like to go for when it's a, a, a 
you know, attacking option or, or forward player, which is that he can be fairly versatile. I think to look at him, his, his physique isn't going to lend itself that easily to playing as an out-and-out nine in this division, I don't think. But he is quick and he does like running at players, I think because he likes to dribble with the ball at his feet. You can see why there might be an advantage in playing him slightly wider than, than through the centre. But I think if he had his way, he would like to play as a, a secondary forward. Did you see the PSV comments from, from it was Marcel Brands, wasn't it, mm. who, uh, who works for them, talking about the fee that Leeds brought in? And it was one that... Uh, there's been a little bit of criticism in Leeds circles for suggesting that it was a little flight of fancy, uh, saying we would pay them €6 million Euro extra if we made it to the Champions League. But it was confirmed to... It was Football International who, who um, did the interview with Marcel Brands from, from PSV, saying that the Leeds offer was the best one that they received for, for Gakpo. So... Um, is it right that people are using that as a stick to beat the club with, saying it wasn't realistic, they should have paid more when it was the best offer on the table? They did go over Southampton. I think when we discussed it after the, the end of the window, I was saying that they went above Southampton's offer because they were so short of time that they thought, you know, we can't get stuck here with a back and forward of, you know, us both basically being in the ring for this and him having the choice and speaking to two clubs. I think the idea was that they would go over, they would top Southampton's bid and that would that would win the day. Um I have to say that you know incentivized deals based on the Champions League. I can understand why PSV would be skeptical about um, receiving any money from that. The bid in total, I think the total package um, would have been forty three million euros, which is forty million euros. But that would have been absolutely everything all in. I was going to say but, it was reported as thirty million euro upfront. Yes, uh, would, or for the fixed fee. Yeah, and then thirty million of bonuses, which they described as two million euro, were realistic. So in in. Reality, PSV reckoned that they would finish up with 32 million euros from that. I, I I would say that that's below the value of Gakpo. I think he's worth slightly more than that. I don't think as an out-and-out fee, he's necessarily worth 40, um, 40 million as it would have been if that was the entire fee that they were going to pay up front. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it was just a strange story all around because it, it seemed to me that if you're flying out there um, as kind of urgently and last minute as, as Victor Orta did, you must kind of know in your head or think in your head that that deal's going to get done. You know, it's it. you have absolutely no wriggle room. So if you land in Eindhoven, if you land in Holland and you find that PSV are being resistant, then, you know, you you, you just do not have the scope to, to turn that around. There was definitely a point at which Leeds thought it was going to happen and thought they, they were going to get him and they had the plane home booked um, with, with seats on for him and his family and, and his representatives and, and other people around him. But PSV... Have, are basically doing what a club should do, which is holding out for as much money as they can get with him. And I think if he has a good World Cup and if he has a good domestic season, then he will attract higher bids than than they receive from either Leeds or Southampton. And I have to be honest, if he has a really good World Cup, I'm not even sure Leeds or Southampton will be able to get back in for him. I think he'll move to a different level um, at which you start getting bids from clubs who'll be able to outmanoeuvre both. It feels like the club have identified this type of player as about our ceiling at the moment. People like De Kettler and Sinistera, people who are maybe on the verge of breaking out into being Champions League stars and just trying to get them before they make that transition. I wrote a piece about them becoming a bit of a stepping stone club. You know, So this idea that if they're going to get some of the best talent out there, they have to sign them at a stage in their career where they can feasibly say to them, listen, this isn't your forever club, this isn't your forever move, you come here and do good things for us, then you will get a move like Rafinha has had going to Barcelona, you'll get a move like Calvin Phillips has had going to Manchester City. I think we should probably, probably touch second. base yeah. on that one um, shortly. But yeah, so so with Gakpo, you would be saying to him, look, 
this isn't the kind of this isn't the avenue that ends your career. You don't come here and finish your career at Leeds. You come here, do really well, and, and doors open elsewhere. And and I think it's actually a really good strategy if it works and if you get these players. I think what you have to make sure is that you're not spending too many too much time or, or allowing too many occasions where you go after players of this calibre and in the end they either stay where they are or they go elsewhere as De Ketelaar did with Milan. That's it. You can say to them, you know, come to us for two or three years and we either get you there ourselves, you help us along to that goal of getting into Europe and then in which case they might stay or you get your move, I guess, which none of us like to think <laughs> about as Leeds fans, but you know, here we are. No, you, you have to be realistic and this is the this is always the point about Haaland. It's not a secret that Leeds looked really closely at Haaland and that he was over to see the training ground and he was over to see um, Ellen Road and that there was a point where he was at Mulder where they could could have signed him for about £4 million. And that sounds completely ludicrous now and completely unrealistic but you forget that that was when he was at Molde scoring goals as opposed to was, banging them in all over the place at Salzburg 17 and, wasn't he yeah well. and, and at Dortmund you know so it, it was there to be done I think you'd be woefully naive if you looked at that and thought that by signing Haaland in that moment he would have spent the next 15-20 years at Ellen Road you've seen him already go to Salzburg and then to Dortmund and then on to Manchester City you know he's a player who clearly has a career path mapped out in his head so they might make big money out of him, which would have been absolutely great. But I think to to assume that you know somebody like Haaland would have been coming to Leeds to get his career going properly and then finish his career here or to stay here for 10 years, highly unlikely because of how good he is. And on the Gakpo fee, it's worth adding that PSV were essentially, or are potentially, a distressed seller this season because they've not qualified for the Champions League. So they have financial um, targets they need to hit. They're not going to hit them without selling one of their star players. They know that. You wonder if maybe Leeds caught wind of that and thought, there's an opportunity for us to get in there and and get somebody around the right price and maybe at a price that because PSV need cash, we can offer them X and they might take it. It's a little like Brendan Aronson in that Salzburg were totally resistant to, to Leeds bidding in January, but kind of telegraphed at that point that if Leeds came back in in the summer, that a deal would be done and a deal was done you know, instantly as soon as the, the season finished it was it was there to, to be completed and everything was in place it is kind of the same with Gakpo in that I think he'll absolutely be on the market next summer I'm just not sure that he's going to be on the market in a way that Leeds can reach On Calvin Phillips then depending on how you look at these things there'll be some Leeds fans who look at that with a bit of schadenfreude and think ah oh, well he's left Leeds he's hurt his shoulder looks like he might need an operation Never mind, you leave. We don't care about you anymore. There's other ones that will say um, they feel for Calvin Phillips because he's one of ours. He's one of our homegrown products. Uh, where are you on this one then? I'd fall into the second category. Um, big player for Leeds, did great things for Leeds. I think took a move which was entirely fair to want to take um, and and understandable that he would want to do that. Um, brought in a, a Pretty hefty wedge of cash. I've said a few times with Phillips, I don't think they maxed out on his value, but I don't think they were a million miles off it either, all things considered. It would be totally wrong for Leeds to say now that they sold him, and I don't think they will try and say this, but um, to say that they sold him because of his injury record or because of concerns about his shoulder. I mean, Radrazani said to us in the interview that I did with um, him and and David Ornstein that, you know, they, they sold him because Phillips asked to go. You know, the, the Rafinha was the one that they, they were kind of, resigned to, to losing and knew that they would they would sell but with Phillips it was a case of Phillips coming to them and saying City are in for me it's a move I want to take you know I'd, I'd like you to do it so so they did but one of the reasons that they thought that 42 million up front for him was you know good value or reasonable value was because he did have a certain injury record and 
he was already into his late 20s. He's had this shoulder problem for a while and everybody will know that. Um, he, he hurt it initially against Wills back in 2020, but it was the injury that he did to it on the very final day of the 2021 season at home to West Brom. Um, that tackle right towards the end of the game that did the most serious damage. And, you know, the players who know him and people who've seen him in the dressing room will say he's, he's been strapping it up for a long time now and it's not really been a secret that he was going to, well, most likely to need surgery on it at some stage. You'll remember Bielsa being asked back in January when Phillips is out with his ruptured hamstring, is there a possibility that he might go for um, an operation at the same time? Bielsa said, yeah, it's, it's possible depending on the time scale. The reason that he didn't first time round um, at the end of the 2021 season was because the Euros were coming up um, and the last thing he wanted to do was to rule himself out of those um, by having an, an op. I think in January there was a hope that he would be back much sooner than he ultimately was so they didn't particularly want to carry out another procedure on him um, having you know sent him for hamstring surgery already that might mean that that he was on the sidelines for longer than necessary in the end he didn't play until April so it might, might not have mattered but from what we can gather, this was done in training with City last week. Um, bumped into somebody, shoulder um, out of place again. Is going, may well have had surgery already this week, but is due to go for surgery this week. Um, and is hoping to be back for the World, Club, World Cup, but clearly um, it puts a question mark over that. Well, there you go. That just about wraps it up, I think, for this week, doesn't it? The main, uh, the main stories. You've got a game in York, 21s, if you fancy a, a bit of football uh, action. Yeah, I mean, I'm dying for this Philly game to come around. It's been a long, old month. I am nicking some time off next week because why wouldn't you, really? <laughs> um, but yeah, 21s in York sounds marvellous. Yeah, roll on the football returning. So it can return for a few weeks and then buzz off again for another month. <laughs> no, <laughs> this, is, this is it. Um, I mean, at some point we'll get into this uh, a chat about this with Marsh as well, about how how they're going to manage the back end of this year. They've, As you say, they've got a month of games that they're going to get hit with now, but it's not wildly intense, or not as intense as you're used to in the Championship, and they quite clearly aren't going to try and shoehorn either the Manchester United or Forest game into any of these midweeks. I don't think feasibly it, it, it can be done now. Um, and then, yeah, there's going to be big, wide open space November um, and December. It kind of makes you wonder what's coming post-Christmas, you know, and, and the, the second half of the season, whether it's just going to be a massive road rash in which there are games all over the place and everybody's going for everything. And some players are knackered from the World Cup, um, but Haaland definitely isn't and ends up scoring about 80. <laughs> yeah, so it's, um... it's a good job we uh, narrowly avoid qualifying for Europe last year anyway. Just just dodge that bullet. <laughs> yes, ab- absolutely. Uh, well, thanks for joining us on this one. We'll be back in a, in a few days with the, the next update. The, surely something must be happening in the next few days. There's always something with Leeds, isn't there? That's the thing. There is. An there injury is. normally. <laughs> Don't be so cynical, Michael. Right, we will we will return in a few days and speak to you then. We'll see you soon. The Phil Hay Show.